For more presentations like this, visit www.xenos.org. The book of Genesis, the beginning book in the Bible. And it's truly a book of beginnings. We've been in this, this book for several months now. We've seen the beginning of the world. We've seen the beginning of the human race. We've seen the beginning of the separation between God and man. We've also seen the beginning of God's plan to do something about that separation. He promised. It's a, it's a book of promises as much as it is a book of beginnings. Initially promised that one day a man would be born who would, who would put an end to evil, who would crush sin and death. The Bible is called sin just when we turn away from God. That was what caused the separation between humans and God in the first place. We also saw that this promise that God would bring this promised one that that passed on into a promise to a guy named Abraham. God said the promised one will now come not just from the human race at large, but from the line of a guy named Abraham. God said, I'll make Abraham into a great nation. He, gave, he promised him the promised land. He promised blessing and protection on Abraham. And he said, through your descendants, all the peoples of the world will be blessed. That promise to Abraham passed on to Abraham's second-born son, Isaac. That promise to Isaac then passed on to Isaac's son, a guy named Jacob. In fact, last week we met Isaac's twin boys, Jacob and Esau. And from the very beginning, God said it's going to go not through the firstborn Esau, but through the secondborn Jacob. Well, from the very beginning with these boys, we saw there was trouble. We saw that they were wrestling with one another, even inside the womb, jostling with one another. They, when the boys were born, Esau came out first, red, hairy, and strong. Jacob came out second, smooth, but hanging on to Esau's heel. They called Esau Esau, which means hairy, because he was hairy. They called Jacob Jacob, which means heel grabber, because he was grabbing Esau's heel. Heel grabber, kind of like our term for backstabber. He kind of comes up and, and, and he's, he's grasping. He's not going to let Esau get by him. He's, he's going to make sure he gets for himself. And so Jacob goes from wrestling in the womb to this promise. But for Jacob, he didn't think the promise alone was good enough. And so we find th throughout his life, from what we saw last week, he's a schemer, a manipulator. He's always trying to wrestle things over into an advantage for him. And so he cheats his brother Esau out of the blessing. He gets him to trade it for a bowl of stew in a moment of vulnerability. He and his mom conspire to trick his old blind father into giving the blessing to Jacob instead of Esau. And we saw that story last week as well, where Esau goes out to hunt for a final blessing meal, and Jacob and his mom, they put goat skins all over Jacob so that his smooth skin will feel as hairy as Esau's. They put Esau's clothes on him. He goes in there. Isaac suspects something. He's like, who are you? And he said, oh, I'm, <clears throat> I'm Esau. He tricks Isaac, who finally blesses him. Right before Esau gets back with the game, Esau comes in and finds out what's happened, and he is furious. And he says, oh, no wonder his name is Jacob, that deceiver, that heel grabber, that backstabber. Oh, now he's cheated me twice. First my rights as firstborn, now he's stolen my blessing. I will kill my brother Jacob. And that's the verse we left off on last week. Well, Jacob's parents decide they need to send Jacob away for a while until his brother cools off. And that's where we pick up our story in Genesis chapter 28. Now this is a long story. I'm going to be reading parts, summarizing parts, just for the sake of getting through all six chapters of scripture tonight. We'll be moving though, but it's worth it. Genesis 28, verse 1, it says, So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him, and he said, Look, son, you cannot marry any of these Canaanite women, the local non-believers. He's saying, you gotta, you got to go. you got to go instead and marry one of your uncle Laban's daughters. You know, we saw when Isaac needed a, a wife, his father Abraham went back and found, to the old country, found one of his relatives, his first cousin once removed, brought her back, and Isaac married her. Now he says, you need to do what I did. You need to go back to the old country, this time sending Jacob instead of just sending someone to get a wife. And he says, find your uncle Laban, your mom's brother. He's got girls, marry one of them. 
And so Jacob goes. He left home. And it says as he was fleeing from home, fleeing from the wrath of his brother Esau, it says at sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp, and he stopped there for the night. And Jacob found a stone to rest his head against, and he lay down to sleep. And that, that is when something very, very strange began to happen. As he slept, (laughs) he dreamed of a stairway. The stairway reached from the earth, and the stairway reached up to heaven. And he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. stood Yahweh and he said I am Yahweh (laughs) I'm the God of your grandfather Abraham the God of your father Isaac the ground you're lying on belongs to you I'm giving it to you and your descendants your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth they'll spread out in all directions the west, the east, the north and the south And all the families of earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I am with you. And I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until I finish giving you everything I have promised. The original stairway to heaven. So many promises from God here. But Jacob awakes from his sleep, and he said, surely Yahweh's in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. It's none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. So Jacob says, well, of all the places I could have fallen asleep, I fell asleep on this portal to another dimension. (laughs) He named that place Bethel, which means house of God. He said, this is where God is. This must be. Very superstitious thinking here. And then Jacob made this vow, since he was in such a special place. He says, if God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he'll provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then Yahweh will certainly be my God. And I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. And God's like, whoa, 10%? That's awesome. (laughs) Jacob's vow represents very confused thinking on Jacob's part. You know, God, on the one hand, is coming to Jacob. He's showing up in that very place to talk with Jacob. Jacob, on the other hand, thinks God is confined to this place, that he lives here. This is magic thinking. This is superstitious thinking. This is local deity thinking. Jacob thinks that Jacob is offering God a deal. But God knows he's the one who made the first move. He marked out this deal long ago. Jacob thinks that he must wrestle the blessings away from God. And that's why he offers him that deal and he sets up these terms. He says, God, let's make a deal. God, on the other hand, promised to bless Jacob no matter what. As far back as when when Jacob was still in the womb, God made this promise of this blessing. And so we see Jacob thinking in terms of superstition and magic, and he cuts this deal with God, thinking God is confined to this place, and he promises to give God a little something if God brings him back safely. Well, Jacob is wrong on all three counts here. God is not confined to this place. Jacob's not offering God any deal, and he does not have to wrestle the blessings away from God. God wants to give. But what it does is it plunges Jacob into several decades of restlessness. He doesn't lose any blessings for what he's about to embark upon. No. 
But what he loses is peace. He brings turmoil into his own life, restlessness. He's constantly wrestling to try to get the blessings God had already decided to give him. And I wonder maybe as we read this story, if some of us are doing the same thing, living a life of restlessness while God stands there holding out blessings, while God has already made promises to you, and you won't believe, you won't receive those blessings. I think there's some things we can learn from the life of Jacob. Well, it says in verse 1 of chapter 29, Jacob hurried on, finally arriving in the land of the east. And he saw a well in the distance. He's reached his destination. He sees a well there. And you know that once a biblical character sees a well, you know what's about to happen. He's about to meet the woman of his dreams, the woman he's destined to marry, his cousin. (laughs) Rachel. He hustles up. As soon as he sees her, he runs over to the well and he moves the stone away from the mouth of the well, a job that normally took a couple of men, showing off his great strength. And then he waters all of the flock that she brought with her. And then he kissed her. And then he wept aloud. (laughs) And Rachel says, hello. Weeping, kissing, watering muscled stranger do I know you and he explains I'm your cousin we need to marry each other and so Rachel quickly ran and told her father Laban remember that name well Jacob goes and meets Laban and when he had told Laban his story Laban exclaimed boy You really are my own flesh and blood. (laughs) And that's true in more ways than one. They're they're blood relatives, but, you know, if you thought Jacob was a schemer, you haven't seen nothing until you met Uncle Laban. This is the big leagues. Jacob, you're in Laban's house now, and you better watch out. Well, after about a month of staying with Laban... He approaches Jacob and says, you know, you shouldn't work for me without pay just because we're relatives. Tell me how much your wages should be. Jacob, let's make a deal. Well, Laban had two daughters. The older daughter was named Leah. The younger one was Rachel. The name Rachel means little lamb. The name Leah means cow. And he tells us that old Leah, she had weak eyes. What does it mean? Weak eyes, tender eyes, delicate eyes. Does it mean she had some weird eye condition? Did she look like this? (laughs) Probably not. It might mean she had nice, soft eyes, but that was about it. It could mean, I like the NLT, says she she lacked that sparkle in her eyes. That's possible. Whatever it means, she was inferior to her younger sister in pretty much every way. It says Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. And Jacob was in love with Rachel, and so he told her father, I'll work for you seven years if you give me Rachel, your younger daughter, as my wife. Back then, they had to pay a price when they married a woman. That was a security for the wife. In case Jacob dies or divorces her, then she's got a large sum of money that she can live off of, so she's not left destitute. Jacob didn't have any money, though, so he had to work up a dowry so he could marry Rachel in an honorable way. And so Laban says, well, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. When you make a deal with Laban, you've got to read the fine print. You better pay close attention to what he says. Notice what he doesn't say here. What he doesn't say here is, yes, you can marry Rachel. No, he says, I'd be better than some other guy. Why don't you just stay here with me and work? So Jacob says, deal. And that's exactly what he does. He works seven years to pay for Rachel, but his love for her was so strong, it seemed to him 
but a few days. How romantic. Well, finally, the time came for him to marry her. And he went to Laban and he says, I fulfilled my agreement. Come on, it's time. He's probably thinking, I got, I got a, a good deal here. I maybe got the better of Laban in this bargain. He says, give me my wife so I can sleep with her. And Laban says, okay, I'll give you your wife. And Laban invited everyone in the neighborhood and he prepared a wedding feast. But that night, when it was dark, oh, Laban took Leah to Jacob, the older sister. Leah! And, you know, it was totally dark. You know, he takes Leah, he puts goat skins on her arms. (laughs) Just kidding. That's right, that was Jacob with Esau. He takes her in, and Jacob's like, Rachel, finally, the night is here. Our love can be complete. And Leah's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> You're so quiet. Are you just speechless with love? And she's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> And so he slept with her. And the next morning, when the light of the sunrise came in through that tent, Jacob woke up and he rolls over to see Rachel. But instead, what he sees is, it was Leah! (laughs) What have you done? Jacob raged at Laban. I worked seven years for Rachel. Why have you deceived me? Can you believe a man would do that to swap siblings in the darkness? to trick a man into a binding agreement. (laughs) The deception here is just sickening to Jacob. It's not that different, though, from what he did, is it? And sometimes this is how God deals with with our sin in our lives. He shows us how it feels. Well, Laban says, it's... It's not our custom here to marry off a younger daughter ahead of the firstborn, of course, you know that. Look, we'll wait till the bridal week's over, and then we'll give you Rachel too. What a generous offer from Laban. But he knows he's got Jacob over the barrel, and and he's got no negotiating power. And he says, of course, provided you promise to work another seven years for me. I mean, that's what we agreed to, right? You wouldn't expect to, to pay less for Rachel than you would for Leah over here, would you? And Jacob says, all right. Laban says, let's make a deal. And Jacob says, okay. And he agreed to work seven more years. And a week after he married Leah, Laban gave him Rachel too. And Jacob slept with Rachel too. And he loved her much more than Leah. This would have introduced a lot of tension into this family. What a bad way to start a marriage. And he then stayed and worked for Laban the additional seven years. Now, this next seven years was much different than the first seven years, which felt like a couple of days to Jacob. In fact, the next 29 verses in Genesis narrate what happens over the the seven remaining years. And what we find is they're full of turmoil. His wives fighting over who gets to sleep with Jacob Rachel is the one he loves but can't have kids. Leah, he doesn't love, but she pops out like four sons in a row right out of the gate. And they start passing him back and forth. You know, Rachel's given Jacob to her handmaiden. Leah's given Jacob to her handmaiden. Leah rebuys a couple of nights with Jacob, has a couple more sons. Finally, you know, Rachel gets pregnant with, with their 11th child, their 11th son, and at least their 12th child in less than seven years. And what you see from Jacob here is he's completely passive as he's passed around like some prized stud whose main value is as a sperm donor, having kid after kid. But it's, you really see here from Jacob, it's pretty pitiful. His family's a wreck. This is one wrestling match Jacob's losing. And finally, after 14 years with Laban, being pinned to the mat by him, being taken by him and deal after deal, he decides he's had enough Laban and he's going to go home 
And so in chapter 30, he goes to Laban. And he said, look, please release me so I can go home. I've worked here long enough. I've paid my dues. I've upheld my end of the agreement. And Laban replied, look, I've been greatly blessed. And Jacob, I've got to tell you, I've learned by divination that Yahweh has blessed me because of you. I've become very wealthy. I don't want to lose you. You're, you're my best worker. He says, tell you what, will you stay on? How much would I owe you? Whatever it is, I'll pay it. He says, Jacob, let's make a deal. And Jacob says, okay, fine. Don't give me anything. Here's all I want. Just do this one thing and I'll continue to tend and watch over your flocks. He says, let me inspect your flocks today and remove all the sheep and the goats that are speckled or spotted along with all the black sheep. These would have been more rare than the white ones. And he says, give these to me as my wages. That's a small portion of this flock. And then, you know, these will be mine going forward. The, the normal ones, the white ones will be yours. And if you see me with any white ones, you know that I've stolen your stuff. You can come and get it back. And Laban says, okay, all right, I can do that. You got yourself a deal. It will be as you say. You can go today and you can get all the spotted, speckled, and black livestock out of there and they'll be yours but i just got to do one quick thing first jacob and what does laban do he goes and he removed all the male goats that were streaked and spotted and all the black sheep leaving the flock pure white and he says there you go all the ones in this flock go through it you can have them just like we agreed to jacob And so Jacob starts with a pure white flock, and he gets all the black, speckled, and spotted ones that they produce. Well, Jacob has a couple of tricks up his sleeve. Uh, he took him a three days journey from where Jacob was, which gives Jacob some privacy. Jacob, he takes some fresh branches. He says, I got a brilliant idea. And he took them, and he took his knife, and he peeled strips of bark on them, which made these branches white-striped. And then he took those white striped branches and he put them in the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink because that was where the sheep would mate. And so Jacob says, I got it. I know how to get some striped sheep. You get striped branches <laughs> and you put them next to where the sheep get it on. And then... They're mating right in front of the striped things, and they just drank the water that we marinated the striped branches in, and that is going to make them striped. <laughs> well, we know today, this isn't why white sheep have striped lambs. Modern genetics has told us otherwise. It's not mating in front of something striped that makes the animal striped. What Jacob's engaging here is superstitious, sympathetic magic. This is, these are pagan notions here. He's trying to secure for himself. He's trying to scheme. He's trying to manipulate. He's trying to wrestle a blessing for himself out of these, these animals. And what's crazy is when the time comes for the new babies to be born... The animals start giving birth to the very color Jacob was supposed to get. No matter how many times, Laban changed the deal. You know, Laban shows up and he sees all these, these spotted sheep being born. He's like, oh, hold on now. That wasn't the deal. You know, you got the spotted ones. These are polka dot, polka dot. I get the polka dot ones. And Jacob's like, that's no fair. And all Laban's sons are standing there like, you got a problem with that, Jake? And he's like, no. And so then they have striped ones. And Laban's like, no, I think, I think the black ones were mine and the white ones and the, the striped. Ten times in six years, he changes the wages. And in spite of all of that, it tells us at the end of this chapter, Jacob still became very wealthy.
Well, the time came in Genesis 31, verse 1, that Jacob learned Laban's sons were grumbling about him. Jacob's taking all our money. And Jacob even began to notice a change in Laban's attitude toward him. He's not feeling too good here, living with Laban. And then Yahweh came to him, God. And he said, Jacob, return to the land of your father, and I will be with you. And so Jacob called his wives, Rachel and Leah, out into the field. And he says, ladies, I've noticed your father's attitude toward me has changed. But the God of my father has been with me. You see, Jacob starting to learn something here about what God is like. You start to see his theology shifting in the right direction. He says, you know how hard I've worked for your father. But he's cheated me. He changed my wages ten times. However, God has not allowed him to harm me. It wasn't my hard work. It wasn't my scheming. God is the one who gets credit for all the success that I've had here. In fact, he says God had revealed this to him in a dream. He had this, this dream. It was kind of weird because all these sheep were having sex with each other. <laughs> but the point of the dream was God was saying, you know why they've been giving birth to striped and speckled and spotted sheep and goats? Well, in that dream, God doesn't say anything about striped branches. No, God says, I've seen all that Laban has been doing to you, Jacob. I am the God of Bethel. He says, Jacob, you remember Bethel 20 years ago? That place you thought you left me behind in my little house? He said, I've been with you this whole time. I've seen everything that's been happening to you. I'm the one who's been blessing you. It's not your scheming. It's not your wrestling. It's me, God says. I'm the reason why there's blessing in your life. And Jacob knew it. And God said, now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. And Rachel and Leah responded, that is fine with us. There was no love lost between them and their dad who was dealing them out like livestock. And so they leave. And at the time they left, Laban was some distance away shearing his sheep. He picked an opportune time to take off with all of the flocks, with all of the kids, with all of the women, with all the, the hired hands that he had. And Rachel, though, stole her father's household idols and took them with her. And thus, Jacob outwitted Laban the Aramean. Finally, we got a point in the Jacob column here. But not for long. Three days later, Laban was told Jacob had fled. And so he gathered a group of his relatives and he set out in hot pursuit, furious at what Jacob had done. He finally caught up with them right on the border of the promised land as Jacob was camped in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban shows up. He sets up his camp. He marches up to Jacob and he says, what do you mean by deceiving me like this? Laban demanded. I can't believe you would deceive me. How dare you drag my daughters away like prisoners of war? Why did you deceive me, Jacob, you deceiver? And why didn't you just tell me you wanted to leave? I mean, I would have given a farewell feast with singing and music, tambourines and harps. I would have written a song. It would have been beautiful. Not true. Jacob knows it. I could destroy you. Right now, Buddy says, last night the God of your father appeared to me. And you know what he said? Leave Jacob alone. God protecting Jacob from Laban. All his fear, God visited Laban that night and told him to stop. 
And Laban said, you know, Jacob, I can understand the feeling that you must go. But why have you stolen my gods? Well, anytime your god can be stolen, <laughs> I think it's time to get a new god. But Jacob didn't know that his beloved Rachel had stolen those gods. And so he says, look, first of all, I rushed away because I was afraid. I didn't trust you. Second of all, as for your gods, see if you can find them. We don't have them. And let the person who's taken them die. <laughs> so Laban went to Jacob's tent to search there. And then he went to Leah's tent, and he searched there. And then he went into the tents of the two servant wives, but he found nothing. And then he went into Rachel's tent. And what did he find there? Nothing. Because she had taken the idols and she hid them in her camel saddle. And now she was sitting on them. <laughs> Somebody can sit on your gods. <laughs> <laughs> and so Laban walks up. He thoroughly searched her tent. He didn't find it. He walks up and he says, Honey, you need to get off that camel now. I need to search that thing. And that's when Rachel pulls one of the dirtiest tricks ever pulled in the history of daughters. She says to her father, Daddy, forgive me if I don't get up for you, but I'm having my monthly period. <laughs> He's like, oh, la, 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 Okay, 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 I'm finally got it. Well, Jacob, at this point, is just furious, and so he challenged Laban. He said, what's my crime? What have I done wrong to make you chase after me as though I were a criminal? You rummaged through everything I own. Now, show me what you found that belongs to me, Laban. For 20 years, I've been with you, caring for your flocks. And all that time, your sheep and goats never miscarried. In all those years, I never used a single ram of yours for food. You made me pay for every stolen animal, whether it was taken in broad daylight or in the dark of night. I worked for you through the scorching heat of the day, through cold and sleepless nights. Yes, for 20 years I slaved in your house, Laban. I worked 14, earning your daughters, six more for your flock, and you changed my wages 10 times. And in fact, if the God of my father had not been on my side, you would have sent me away empty-handed. Yeah, sometimes God deals with our sin by showing us how it feels, by giving us empathy for those who are affected by us. And so Laban says, fine, fine. Since you're being so unreasonable, Jacob, let's make a deal. Let's make a covenant, you and I. See this pile of stones here? They stand between us as witnesses. He says, you stay on your side of the stones. I'll stay on my side of the stones. And Jacob says, okay. And Laban goes home. And so, Jacob, <clears throat> Jacob successfully flees from his relative, who he ripped off, who was trying to kill him. To return to the land where 20 years ago, he had successfully fled from his relative, Esau, who he had ripped off, who was trying to kill him. Jacob just keeps having this effect on people who are close to him. <laughs> the way of the schemer. And he starts thinking about Esau. And he starts thinking how he's going to protect himself. And so he sends some messengers ahead to his brother Esau. He thinks, maybe Esau's hurt on my way back. Maybe he's going to be out for blood. Maybe he's got some men he's hired to kill me. He sends messengers ahead. Humble greetings from your servant Jacob. Until now, I've been living with Uncle Laban. It was quite nice. We parted on good terms. I've sent these messengers to inform my Lord of my coming, hoping that you will be friendly to me. Love, Jacob. Well, the messengers go and they find Esau. 
And after delivering the message, they returned to Jacob and they reported. And he says, well, what did Esau say? And they said, well, nothing. But by the time we met him, your brother Esau, he was already on his way to meet you with an army of 400 men. And Jacob was terrified at that news. Jacob finds himself trapped, finally, with no chance of escape. All of his schemes he's come up with over his life are crushing him now and a vice of his own making. He can't run back because Laban's there waiting with his army on the other side of that pile of stones. But if he goes forward, he knows that his brother Esau is on the way to meet him with an army of 400 men. And so Jacob is terrified. He's out of options. He's out of schemes. The schemer is out of schemes. And so what does he do? He does something we've never seen Jacob do before up to this point in his entire life. The text tells us, then Jacob prayed with nowhere else to turn. And what does he pray? He says, God of my grandfather Abraham and of my father Isaac, Yahweh, you told me, return to your land and your relatives. He did. You promised me I will treat you kindly. He claims the promise of God. And then he says this great line. He says, God, I am not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness you've shown me, your servant. That's the kind of prayer God likes to see. Remembering his love and his faithfulness while admitting our lack of worth. When I left home and crossed the Jordan River, I owned nothing except this walking stick. Now my household fills two large camps. And he says, Yahweh, please rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau. He comes with empty hands. He comes with this great prayer. It's a great prayer, but still the prayer of a wrestler who's breaking, but not yet broken. God will drive us to our knees sometimes, and yet the will is strong. And as soon as he says amen, he pops up and launches his next scheme. He gets 550 of his choicest animals together and sends them in a a series of, of groups on ahead as a gift to Esau as a way to try to soften Esau up. But even that gift, he knows it's not enough. And Jacob anxiously now watches the setting sun, knowing Esau will reach his camp tomorrow. This time it's not just him. He's got his wives. He's got kids. A lot of them, all under the age of 13. He's worried. And thus begins... Jacob's dark night of the soul. The darkest night of his life. The night that would leave him forever changed. Let's read it. During the night Jacob got up, he couldn't sleep, I'm sure, anyway. He took his wives, his 11 sons, and he crossed the Jabbok River at night. Very dangerous. He crossed over, he leaves in there, and then he heads back to the other side. He sends all of his possessions over which left him there alone in the camp, in the deep darkness of ancient night. And it says there, in the night, suddenly, Jacob was attacked by a man. A man came and wrestled with him. Who was this night wrestler? Well, he knows it's not Esau. The guy didn't feel like a goat or smell like a field. (laughs) No, but what he did know is this guy was superior in every way. Jacob was strong. This guy was stronger. Jacob was quick. This guy was quicker. Jacob knew some pretty good moves. 
But this guy had better moves. It seemed this guy knew all of Jacob's moves, even before Jacob pulled those moves. He'd get to the end of a clever sequence, and the guy would be there waiting, turning it back on him in some clever reversal, putting Jacob in moves that Jacob himself had perfected. Jacob's in pretty good shape. This guy was in way better shape. He seemed tireless. And so they wrestled on and on and on all through that dark night, sweaty and muddy, exhausted, until finally it got to be close to dawn. Until the dawn began to break. And when the man saw he had not prevailed against Jacob, that Jacob was still going, this night wrestler decides to put an end, an abrupt end to this wrestling match. He simply reached out, touched Jacob's hip, and kaboom! Wrenched it out of its socket. You ever dislocate a joint? Jacob's femur just popped out of his pelvis. Talk about agony. He wrenched it out of his socket. Which shows how much strength this night wrestler really has. Which shows Jacob was never anywhere close to winning this wrestling match. It's at this point that Jacob finally realized who he's really been wrestling. Wasn't Esau, wasn't Isaac, wasn't Laban, wasn't his wives or his kids. He's been wrestling with none other than God himself. And without the use of his leg, he's changed his strategy from wrestling to clinging. And then the man said, let me go. The dawn is breaking. Haven't you had enough, Jacob? But Jacob said with tears, according to Hosea, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He hangs on. The guy says, you want a blessing? You want a blessing? What's your name? The man asked. Remember what Jacob's name meant? Deceiver. Backstabber. Heel grabber. In fact, his own blind father had asked him this question 20 years earlier. That day he stole the blessing from Esau. This time, he answers truthfully. Jacob. I'm the deceiver the heel grabber, the backstabber. I'm the schemer who's always been able to get by on my schemes and now I'm out of schemes. I have nowhere else to turn. I'm terrified for my life. I can't protect my family. I can't protect myself. I'm so frightened. I'm caught in a trap of my own making. And now I come with empty hands. No more goat skins. No more tricks. Just me begging for the blessing. Well, your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you'll be called Israel. Because you fought with God, with men, and you prevailed. A new name. new name means a new authority, submitting to someone's authority. A new name means a new beginning. The name Israel means God fights. On the one hand, the man says it's a reminder of how you fought against God. But on the other, now that you've been broken... You will now see how God will fight for you.
He fought with God and prevailed. How did... How can they claim that he fought with God and prevailed? Obviously, he didn't win this match. He didn't outlast God or overcome God or man, for that matter. No, it's not that he overcame God. In fact, he's lost the battle with God and man in reality. But Jacob finally found strength and victory in surrender. It was in his weakness that he was finally able to be made strong. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Which is God's way of saying, you've been with me this long, you don't know who I am? Really? And then he blessed Jacob there. He gave him the blessing that he really wanted. And you know, God wants to change you from someone who governs your own life to someone who's blessed by God. In order to do that, you've got to admit your weakness. You've got to put your trust in Him. You've got to hang on even through the hard times, even through the breaking that God may be doing in your life. And what you may find is what Jacob found. That the very thing he'd been scheming and wrestling for his whole life is the very thing God had already promised to give him, the blessing. He promised him that before he was born. The real problem was Jacob kept getting in the way. God had to bring him to the end of himself. He had to break Jacob's self-will so that Jacob could really receive from God and rely on God. And so he named the place Peniel, which means face of God. Peniel. And there's a big difference between Bethel, the place of God, and Peniel, the face of God, the presence of God. He said, I've seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. And as he left Peniel, two things were happening. One, the sun was rising. And two, Jacob was limping because of the injury to his hip. And one thing's true about a a guy with a bad hip. You don't have to remind him to limp. He probably felt that for the rest of his life. It would also probably mean no more running away from his problems. He's going to have to face them with a different security base, the promises of God. Well, Esau's still there. Jacob looks up that morning at sunrise and sees Esau coming with his 400 men. But this time he doesn't put everybody else in front. No, he went on ahead. And as he approached his brother, he bowed to the ground seven times before him. Never mind that his dad said, your brothers will bow before you. They'll be your servant. He didn't care about that. He's bowing to the ground. And Esau runs up to meet Jacob as he's there in this vulnerable position. And he embraced him and threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And both brothers wept. Esau looked at the women and the children and he asked, Uh, Who are these people with you? These are the children that God has graciously given to me. Your servant, Jacob replied. It's a different Jacob here. He's testifying to the goodness of God for the blessings in his life. And what were all those flocks and herds I met as I came? Esau asked. Well, they're a gift, my lord, to ensure your friendship. And what does Esau say? My brother, I have plenty. Keep what you have for yourself. Esau was never going to go after Jacob. He'd he'd long gotten over what had happened between them. But then he says to Esau, seeing your face is like seeing the very face of God. Because he saw how God had even healed this relationship somehow. A couple of lessons from the life of Jacob as we close. First of all, it's a lesson about new beginnings. Jacob got a new name, Israel. If you come to Christ, you become a new creation. God gives you a new identity. What a great chance. doesn't matter what you've done in your life, how much you've run from God or schemed. God's offering you a new identity. A new beginning. 
It's a lesson about surrender. The story of Jacob. The truth is that Jacob drew this out way too long. Over 20 years before he finally broke. Through a lot of restlessness. A lot of turmoil. He didn't have to do that. I wonder if some of you are making that same mistake. Fighting, scheming, holding out, trying to be somebody, trying to make a name for myself, trying to gain security for myself my way. Now what you need to do is you need to learn to rely on the promises of God. You need to learn to yield to Him, His promises, His power. To understand the blessings He's already given you and the blessings that He wants to give you. It's a lesson about hanging on, the story of Jacob. Some people quit when things get hard. Will you hang on in the midst of great pain, maybe the greatest pain you've ever felt in your life? Will you hang on and let God do His work in you? Will you let God break you and make you into the kind of person that He can use, like He did with Jacob? And finally, it's a lesson about faith. The way to God is not by scheming, it's not by cutting deals, it's not by proving my worth or offering to give God a little bit off the top. No, it's putting my trust in the God who wants to bless me, the God who offered His Son as payment for my sins, the God who offers a relationship, the God who offers His Spirit, the God who offers security for all of eternity. That's the God you need to throw down, throw down your works, Come with the empty hands of faith and put your trust in Him. And that's the story of Jacob. Yes, Lord, thank you that you are the God who's there. You're the God that comes to us and initiates with us and offers us the best deal we could possibly get. You gave your Son in our place we receive adoption as your sons and daughters and eternal life. We simply put our trust in Him to pay for our sins. Thank you, too, for how even once we come into a relationship with you, how you're patiently working in our lives, initiating with us, showing us the impact of our ways, of our schemes. Thank you for how you allow us to go through suffering, but you're always right there watching over us. And thank you even for the times when you, you, you paint us back into a corner. We're so desperate. We're desperate enough to pray, Lord. I thank you for the times you've worked in my life to break me. Thank you for how you're working in the lives of people in this room to bring about their weakness so they can truly find your strength, God. Amen. This study was recorded at Zenos Christian Fellowship and is copyrighted. You may freely copy and distribute it as long as you keep it intact and do not sell it.